Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Five Sundays, starting tomorrow. Two episodes apiece for The Last Dance. Five Sundays, they'll get to ten. They haven't edited the last two. People have seen the first eight, and they've reported on it. And it is... It it will look like a circus. And it wasn't necessarily always that way. So, kids, sit back, and we'll explain to you that it wasn't always what you're going to see. We'll try to bring you up to speed on how you got there and what it was like being there. Joining us on the Alpamonte Ford Hotline, Alpamonte Ford in Melrose Park, is my former trip colleague, my friend, a terrific and professional writer who has lived through much of these wars. She is Melissa Isaacson. Missy, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Steve slash Rosie. How are you? (laughs) <laughs> doing good <laughs> upright mobile and, and me and mark that. me and mark were talking earlier about just the the circus that it was and what and and mark was possessive about what it was it's our team it's chicago's team and there would be such a presentation what are you expecting to see and what are you looking for when the last dance debuts and for the next 10 episodes that that is funny that we have a you know a, a very possessive uh, nature about about Michael even though he wasn't from Chicago he didn't you know he lived here certainly but um he had a house here but you know he had a hometown um you know I think we're like that with our with our athletes so I mean I do feel like they're ours I'm I'm nervous for some reason. I don't know why. I'm just excited and sort of a little tiny bit like you're going to see some home movies that you don't know, you know, you'll see your parents like at a party that, you know, and they're drunk and like you don't want to see it or something. I I don't know. I I can't even find a comparison because I don't think my parents did that. But maybe they did. Um, You know, God forbid, like if even a slight image of me and the hair that I had in those days is shown that will be scary. Yeah. So I don't, but I'm excited because honestly, I know uh, how they worked. I talked to them. I was interviewed by them. I think I make a small little appearance later on. And um, they were so thoughtful and diligent about it uh, and spent so much time 
as any documentarian would do. But I, I just felt like they really, truly wanted to do this in, quote, the right way and portray Michael and, and those teams, um, you know, just as accurately and honestly as possible. So I, I'm just excited to see a really good, really good documentary. I love good documentaries. Yeah, and Melissa, I think one of the things that, that I was talking about earlier with Steve is that I have, and I think many other Bulls fans have, just an insatiable appetite for the real Michael Jordan because there was the Michael Jordan that was on camera and a guy who basically said all the right things all the time. But I think that we know from getting you know little bits and pieces of background about Michael, he wasn't necessarily that friendly demeanor with the big bright smile, Michael Jordan saying all the right things. Um, would it be fair to say that's one of the things that you're looking forward to as well is seeing the real Michael Jordan? Or do you think you saw the real Michael Jordan? Yeah, I do think we saw him. And I think, you know, the world has seen him in bits and pieces. I mean, more than bits and pieces. I think that, you know, the heartless competitor that they saw was the real Michael Jordan. I think his speech at the Hall of Fame was the real Michael Jordan. And and, and weirdly, I, I digress here, but that's what I do. But um, I thought his speech after the Hall of Fame, I actually wrote about it. And I was, the, I think, the only person in the world who liked it and thought it was good and thought it was really Michael and wasn't like mm-hmm. offended and think that he, you know, was jerky the way other people did. Um, because he wasn't nice and sweet. But I don't think, I don't know, maybe I lost my objectivity in that because I did see him um, behind the scenes. But, uh, you know, Lacey Banks loved him, you know, may he rest in peace. You know, Lacey Banks loved him. He loved Lacey. And yet he made fun of Lacey with sometimes, you know, more than anybody. And, and it could get mean at times, but like, I don't think it was any different than what he did in his high school gym or what any guys do in, you know, on the playground or he was just a guy, but he also happened to be the most competitive and most talented guy around and so there were so many sides to him. But, but I also, when people ask about him now, um, and, and I'm, I'm honestly not kissing his ass. I mean, I really, really remember this and, and very accurately because I talked to other people. He was very gracious to the media. He, in the sense that he would talk to every last reporter after games. And I don't know if you guys remember that, but, you know, there could be the smallest newspaper in Iowa there to talk to him and the New York times and us and, and somebody from Indonesia. And he would talk to everybody and answer every last question. Not that he would blow off, you know, somebody from Indonesia. I'm just saying he would answer every last question and treat everybody with the same respect in, in answering their questions. And I always really gave him a lot of credit because, you know, I I started to write this and, and maybe I, I have written this. I can't remember. Um, you know, people thought that whatever little time he opened his mouth, it was going to be a pearl of wisdom. And it wasn't. He was a young guy who was obsessed with basketball. And so to ask him about global events was dumb. But people asked him about stuff all the time in politics. And he would, you know, try to answer. But, like, he didn't have any pearls of wisdom, you know. So I think he <laughs> So, you know, I think that he got tired of it. I think he got really tired and started not saying things that sounded super, you know, insightful because he was just bored. So that wasn't him being like nasty or trying to blow people off. I think that was just him like being all quoted out, 
you know, it's kind of how I put it. Like he was just at a certain point in the mid nineties, he was like, that's it. I'm not, nothing's going to make sense anymore. He couldn't, he couldn't help it, you know? So, but I, I genuinely like him and I will not say that about every athlete I've ever covered. And I genuinely liked him. He was a gentleman to me. I was around him a lot. And um, can you compare him to, you know, quote unquote, normal people, your neighbor, your best friend, your husband, your you know brother-in-law, like, in every sense, no, is it a whole different plane? But like I said, I genuinely liked him and thought he was gracious to us. And that's all we cared about. Let's be honest. We just wanted somebody to talk to us. That's right. Especially that. (laughs) We're very easy to please in that regard. There's no doubt about it. He's a real jerk, but he did talk to us. That's right. It's always good in our book. That's Missy Isaacson. (laughs) former trip colleague, Mark Rohde, Steve Rosenblum here on the score. So Missy, you were interviewed for this. I don't want to get you in trouble. I'm not sure what we're, what you're allowed to say. Did you have to sign a disclaimer? Did you have to sign a, a shut up pact? Is there a the, is there some the, legal document it, you signed? Oh yeah. There's lots of legal documents. They said, thanks. And then I said, please don't use anything I said because I'm not sure I said that, but I honestly, Anybody who knows me at all will attest to this. Do not remember anything I said, and I pretty much am sure that I didn't really say anything good. Like, (laughs) here's why. Isn't that, I mean, that's great. Yeah, I'm sure everyone's going to tune in now to episode six. I think that's where I make a a slight appearance. um, I've gotten better at being in front of the camera, like, recently with my book and stuff. I just, you know, so I just slid my book in there. but I wasn't comfortable entirely because I, they were asking me questions that weren't my purview for remembering, you know, contract details and things that if they would have asked me like dumb stuff, like what size will produce shoes were like, I would have been all over it. You know, I would have been like Super. stories galore, but, um, and I had stories about shoes. I mean, I could have, you know, it would have been good or Michael throwing up and all that stuff. But like contract stuff that Sam was really, you know, took charge of a lot of that. I was lucky enough to just not that I didn't do that stuff, but, you know, I reveled in telling good stories and finding, you know, whatever. Um, So I was uncomfortable and nervous and I don't know what they got and used. I have no idea. I haven't seen it. So I was like a little bit stunned that I was in it. Why do you think Michael went along with this? Simply because he had, he could cor- control it by having his production, co- having a production company, having a piece of this. Why do you think Michael did this? I mean, he's a businessman. I mean, maybe there's some element to this is good business. Although, you know, certainly doesn't need to make more money. But you know, it was a wise choice in that regard. Um, I, I don't want to get in his head. I, I just feel like he said it. I think um, that this would let people see him for how he really was warts and all. I don't think he minds people seeing him in practice and seeing him behind the scenes because otherwise he wouldn't have given the hall of fame speech the way he gave it. You know, he, um, to him, look, Kobe did not imitate virtually everything Michael did for no reason. I think young people who grew up loving Kobe will be stunned by how much they'll be like, wow, did he copy Kobe? No, no. Kobe copied him in so <laughs> many ways. Am I right, Steve? Like, yep. Yep. Oh he, my Kobe God. admitted it. Kobe from right from the tongue from Michael Jordan's Every, tongue, the way Kobe held his tongue. 
yeah, the way he held his tongue, the way he talked when when Kobe was a rookie, we all laughed. We're like, oh my gosh, like he's talking like him, and you know his his post up moves and stuff like that, and his. You know, the thing that, and I don't want to take anything away from Kobe, don't get me wrong. You know, he's remembered now, and rightly so, for his perfectionism and how hard he worked. And and I don't know that people maybe gave Michael quite enough credit for that. You know, it was more how gifted he was and how, what a hard competitor. But there's one little clip I saw that he was standing after, you know, a championship, I think it was. He was in there the next day. And he was standing in the same spot, you know, maybe 18 feet out, maybe 16 even, just shooting. And he just kept shooting right from there. And, like, I don't know. Nobody saw it. Nobody talked about it. He didn't talk about it. But, like, you don't get to that point, even as talented as he was, without that level of work ethic. And and Kobe absolutely knew that about him and and also patterned himself after that. One of Michael's alleged whipping boys back in the day where you could see the the real Michael was Scott Burrell whom the the Bulls acquired before 98 for for Dickie Simpkins what do you remember if anything about that relationship with Scott Burrell and the way Michael supposedly treated him Oh, I oh, I wish you would have asked about anybody else. When did he When did he <laughs> join the team? No, I'm, I gotta be honest, because that was like the last year, right? Or was it '97? Yeah, he was acquired in '97, um, right before the season started. And I just keep hearing little bits and blurbs and stories about how he was one of those guys that was kind of. I don't know what the right word is, weak or fragile around Mike. Like he couldn't take the Michaelness the way maybe yeah. uh, the way like Steve Kerr could take it. Like Steve Kerr right. takes a punch to the, to the face um, and then stands up to Michael. But somebody like Scott Burrell, so maybe more of a general question, um, yeah, yeah. seeing teammates stand up to Michael Jordan. Yeah, I was, I was, I was going to evade your question anyway, so it's okay, Mark, but thanks. But I was going <laughs> to wind around to... Uh, I evaded it for you. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I was going to do it a little seamlessly, a little more seamlessly, but I would, you know, I would say that if you couldn't take it in any form or fashion, you know, that's when he would come at you harder. And, you know, it's easy to be like, yeah, because he wanted the weak link to be strongest. But I really think that's true. I think that he it infuriated him to be um you know, to, to have someone around him who wasn't trying, you know, as hard as he was. And that's how, you know, he would want to play, you know, with the weaker players in practice on his team. And he'd want to bring that out. In the, I mean, look at Steve Kerr is a nice guy in the world and Will and Bill Wennington, but they hated him in practice. He was a jerk. He would punch mm-hmm. him and stuff. He'd punch him in the throat. He punched Steve in the face, didn't he? I think it was in the face, basically. He had a black eye. So, you know, that part of him was not, um, you wouldn't have heard those guys say, oh, yeah, he's trying to get the most out of us probably that day. <laughs> but um, he absolutely went at you like that. And Steve Kerr, you know, sweet and cute as he may have been, was among the toughest. And, and he came right back at him, even though he had no chance he would get stepped on if he, you know, if they ever came to blows. Um, but he, that's what he loved about Steve Curry. He admired that and respected that about Steve. Um, John Paxson would never take crap, you know. He wouldn't have tried that with him. Um, Wennington, in his own right, was a very tough guy like that. And and so, um, you know, they may have been intimidated, but eventually they learned how to stand up 
to him, and that's what he was after. We're talking with Missy Isaacson. She wrote the book called State. She participated in it 40 years in the making, and it's terrific. I, I in These times when you have a lot of time to read, I recommend you buy this book and read it. It, um, if you're into happy endings, as long as we're talking about The Last Dance and that has a happy ending, read the book State. Missy, I'm so proud of you. That's a terrific book, and I encourage people to buy this, whether you get it on Kindle or hardback, have it delivered, wherever you're going to get it. Read I'll it. bring it. it I'll, I'll, I'll drive it over. She'll go door to door, and it will be non-contact. It will be a contactless no, yeah, delivery. Tons of bubble wrap, and I, wear, I have gloves. Yeah, no, I have no problem doing it. Uh, by the way, I, gonna, I, I, go ahead, Z. You go ahead. I just wanted to connect the dots for for Missy when she really covered the Bulls. Um, Pat Pat Burrell uh, was um, Rodney McRae, the same kind of thing. A guy yeah, they yeah. brought in that Michael was going to break, and you were either going to get tough or get out, and that's the way he was. Sometimes he was that way with reporters, but but most of the time that's the way he was with his teammates. You were either going to get tough or get out, and he had to be able to trust you. And again, as I said earlier, they, he punched Steve Kerr in the eye, gave him a black in the yeah. face, gave him a black eye, and that's who he passed the ball to for a winning a championship clinching basket. Because he knew right. the guy was tough enough to do it. So there was a connection there, even as the guys hated him. No, there was no coincidence that Steve got that pass and that John Paxson got the pass in, in you know, the third championship. I mean, and Kurt turned to him in that huddle before and said, I'm open, you know, give me the ball. I don't know exactly how he said it. I remember now, but, but, you know, literally told him that. And like, if you have the guts to say that to Michael for a last shot, he's absolutely going to get it to you. And Mike and, and Steve had that constitution about him. So yeah, Rodney McCray didn't. Yeah. That, you, that was a good example. Um, and the guys that didn't just, just kind of filtered out. You're absolutely right. There were guys that you wouldn't expect that Michael really liked. I mean, Bobby Hansen was a guy who's just like us, you know, uh, a reserve, and, and if you remember, had some really clutch shots in, I think, the second uh, championship, um, who, you know, was also unafraid. And um, and, and so, you know, Michael fostered that and, and, and liked that. And uh, it, it was, I, my biggest regret of all the years that we covered him is that we didn't get to watch those practices. And there was a good reason for it. You know, we didn't get to watch the scrimmages. We would try. I mean, I would peek as much as you could. But it was really hard in the old um, uh, multiplex to see, you know, in between the little covering. Like, at first they didn't have it, and then they made a better one. And we always would try to peek, but you couldn't really. But you heard, you could hear, you know, and you could see when they walked out. You could see blood, you know, when they walked out. Literally, I remember it. Um, You know, and... And the thing about Michael is that he really, I mean, again, it was always a method to it, playing that hard in practice. And I always used to, you know, talk about it in in anything you do. You know, if you practice that hard, it becomes a habit. And that's what it was. And there were guys on his teams that, that swore that their games in practice and some of his moves, as great as he was, that some of his play in practice was better than anything you'd ever see and like how cool would that be if we see that like that's what i'm waiting for in this documentary you know to see some glimpses of those of those scrimmages um 
I don't know if, if we're going to or not. Do you guys know? Because that's yeah, the real I, behind I, the scenes. I, I don't know. Like, I've gone out of my way to not read too not. many of the, the previews because I don't want any of it to be spoiled. So, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping we do just because there's got to be stuff that we haven't seen yet. But, Melissa, I do have one more question for you that you may want to evade as well. Um, <laughs> oh, because... Yeah, no, you, you really, I mean, or maybe not, but because my source on this uh, question is an on-air conversation I had with the one and only Les Grobstein, and mm. this goes back to, and it involves you, it goes back to the the year without Michael, the first year without Michael Jordan. Um, my book year, and, I wrote a book about that year, yeah. Okay, oh, well then, great. It was. It, the you book remember is that, transition game. Let's mention transition the name of the game. Book. Transition game. Thank you. Transition game. Yes. Transition game. So then you remember the the foul that was called on Scottie Pippen in New York in the semifinals by Hugh Hollins, correct? Correct. And according to the Grobber, you apparently took a good yelling at from Hugh Hollins, or maybe Hugh Hollins's wife, or a family member, yeah. or something like that. What? What was that? What can you share if you are willing to not evade? No. Oh, man. I should call you back because I should look it up. Well, yeah, see, Bradstein has that memory. I, oh, my God. Because he'll remember, <laughs> like, better than I would. Because I, I went in the ref's, the official's room. I mean, I knocked on the door. That's and it. And Hugh answered it and, and, yeah, just screamed at me. It was a really good story. I should, I should, uh, I, I could make it up. You want me to just make up stuff? I can. Please do. That's what we do. <laughs> yeah, the really truth good. would be appreciated, but anything if you, you can fill time with. Stuff, yeah, if you, I call you back. Like when are you free? I'll call you back in like ten minutes. I'll look up <laughs> or we'll just we'll just play the tape of Grobber telling the story because he was he was incensed for you for your sake. He was very very angry that somebody yelled at you unjustified in an unjustified oh. way. That's so nice yes. of Les. I'm sure I got I tons of mileage out of it, knowing me. I'm sure I told the story and got like all kinds of great mileage out of it, and then I promptly forgot it. Maybe I, I mean, I don't forget. I didn't forget it in the sense that I remember it was like a huge, you know, shellacking. But I, maybe I blacked it out because it was like semi-traumatic. But but I do a year <laughs> later, I did a story with him. I gotta find it. I gotta call you back. Because it'll be okay. really good when I tell it. We'll be okay, here. Before, We're here until two. You, yeah. Before, yeah. Before you go searching for it, one last question, Melissa. We're talking with Melissa. It's embarrassing that I don't remember that. But anyway, um, can't do it. How do you imagine what your impressions of Phil Jackson, and how do you imagine he comes off in this? I can't imagine that he doesn't come off. Um, you know, exactly as he was, because he wasn't one where there was like a behind the scenes Phil Jackson. I mean, he was kind of what everybody saw in, in terms of being masterful at balancing. I mean, the thing that always amazed me was how and what he got most credit for was balancing those egos was he didn't have a lot of patience for rookies, like a lot of coaches, for young players. He wasn't, um, terribly nicer patient with, with Horace and Scotty when they first came up, especially Horace, who's very, very hard on Horace. Um, but yet somehow 
he was able to talk Michael into, or if not talk him into, make him believe in Texas triangle offense. He was able to convince him that until he made others better. Look, Michael was probably at his prime, maybe even before the three first three championships. There's no coincidence that they won once Phil talked him into sharing the ball, you know, and that didn't mean that there weren't games he went off and took 40 shots. But for the most part, you know, Steve Kerr getting the last shot, John Paxson getting the last shot, those things weren't happening in the 80s, and then they were happening under Phil. And, you know, a lot of what I wrote in my earlier book was all this stuff, and Sam wrote about it too, you know, the current events and the talking to them about gun control and talking that, that it always helped. But, you know, talking to them about Pulaski Day and the history of that and giving them the books, they laughed at them. But Steve Kirk takes a lot of, of that into his coaching. And, you know, it's it, it, again, it's not a coincidence that he is able to connect with players as well as he does. He's, he's, it's his own, he's his own man, but he also will say he took a lot from Phil and Popovich and other guys. Um, so he was, he was really a master at um, being the boss, not being the buddy, you know, commanding respect. And yet once he got Michael and give Michael credit for that too, to buy in, uh, that's the secret of all coaching. You know, you got to get the star of your team to buy in and then the rest of the team falls into place. So uh, he did that. And, you know, and him making fun of Jerry, and there's probably a good amount of that with Krause, uh, you know, that didn't hurt in the locker room or on the bus either. So, you know, that's kind of how he bonded was his abuse of, of Krause. Some of that may come off looking mean, I would imagine, if they show that. I can't imagine them not showing it because – that was such a part of the kind of fiber of that team. Um, so, you know, that was Phil, too, that role, sarcastic, um, but always, you know, in, in command. Um, I remember Phil in those days very fondly and still have communicated with Phil. And, um, yeah, I, you know, I, uh, I think he handled that team about as well as you could handle those teams. And Dennis, I mean, how do you do that if you're not – some kind of psychologist, you know. You have to be. That was it. I mean, yeah. the greatest sales job in sports history was his getting Michael to share the ball. And from there, it was protecting the group. What he what he did, and using Krause as the, as the villain, is he protected the group and they knew he had their back. And, and that was the only <laughs> thing that mattered to them. I think he did a masterful job of that. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. He Missy, really thank you. Missy, thank you right, for your I'm sorry time. Sorry about not remembering stuff. Oh. No, that's okay. We'll just we'll just go to less when we want stuff about your life, Missy. Yeah, that's a really good story too. It really bumps me out. All right, I'll, I'll text you. All right, that's uh, and the book is State. Her latest book. Uh, if we're talking happy endings, read the book State because she wrote she wrote Transition Game, which is about the Bulls without Michael Jordan, and then she wrote Sweet Lou which is when the Cubs didn't win anything, didn't win a playoff game under Lou Pinella. So she right. finally got to write a book with a, with a fairy tale ending, and you You're should right. all buy it and read it. It's called State. She's Melissa Isaacson. I'm um, happy to good. call her a friend. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Take care. Take care. Bye. Yeah. Miss, Missy Isaacson. Um, so that's that. We're late. I just, I, she's, I love talking to her, and I thought it was really good stuff. You, if it's about as well as we can get you prepped, other than having Michael Jordan on to talk about the Last Dance, right? So, absolutely. That, no, that was good stuff. I still got a a White Sox anniversary 
I'd like to discuss, Steve. We'll do that. We'll do that right after this. He's Mark Grody. I'm Steve Rosenblum. Saturday Suckage, and we also have a uh, WB Club announcement, something very important as we come up to the High Holy Day. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Welcome in, welcome back. Steve Rosenblum, Mark Grody, Saturday Suckage. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score, taking up till 2 o'clock. We will replay Super Bowl LIV. That's when Liv Tyler won the Super Bowl, and we're all happy for her. Kansas City versus San Francisco. And after that, 1992 AFC wildcard game. I'm telling you this. Don't turn it off when you think it's a route. Don't turn it off when you think it's over, because it, it ain't. Tomorrow at noon, Bears kick off the 2010 NFC Divisional game. Bears-Seahawks. Jay Cutler's only playoff victory. So, Mark, you have an anniversary, a White Sox anniversary to share with us. Do you not? 29 years ago today. 29. What is that? I can't. Don't make me do math. Can you give me a year? Yeah. 91? It was, yeah. If you could guess, if you can guess what happened on April 18th, April 18th, 1991. Oh, I think I can guess. Go for it. New Comiskey opened. Yes, twenty nine. And the, and the years White Sox still haven't scored in that game, or something like that. <laughs> they right? Lost. Wasn't that a disaster? The whole thing was a disaster once they said, "Hey, welcome," and then life sucked after that, right? They lost to the Detroit Tigers that day, sixteen to nothing. Frank Tanana, the winning pitcher, and ironically, because he was really good, Jack McDowell taking the loss on that day and uh, just going back and looking at the the White Sox lineup then it was Tim Raines rock Lance Johnson one dog uh, Robin Ventura Frank Thomas was your cleanup hitter <laughs> 35 Carlton Frank. Fisk yes yes Carlton Fisk was your catcher um, apparently do you remember uh, Matt Marullo yeah Matt Marullo was a catcher yes. as well for the White Sox. The right fielder for the White Sox that year. Can you tell me who the right fielder was for the White Sox that year? He was 0 for 4 on this day. Dan Pasqua? Uh, no. No? He was a okay, Cub. Okay, 1991? He was a Cub, too. Don't overthink it. He was known as the Panther back then. Sammy Sosa? Sammy freaking Sosa oh, was 0 for 4 on that, that day. Meant I wouldn't guess that either. Still a cup. Oh, yeah, okay. I would not have guessed that. Um, Corey Schneider was their left fielder. Ozzie Guillen was the shortstop. The little hurt, Craig Graybeck, was um, <laughs> a pinch hitter on that day, and he got in at shortstop. Scotty Fletcher was the second baseman for the White Sox. And uh, Joey Cora was a pinch hitter um on that particular day some of the other unsuccessful pitchers on that day ken patterson i think he was how long did how long did mcdowell last by the way before we get to the relievers man let me see you know it's weird this box score does not oh no here it is here you go two and two thirds six runs all earned on five hits he walked three struck out nobody gave up a couple home runs and then you had the other pitchers on that day were um, Ken Patterson, Scott Radinsky, Donnie Paul, and Bobby Thigpen. The, the Pope. 
Yeah, then it's just you're trying to get your real bullpen. So, Tara, go out there, go out there, go out there. Wow. That's a thing. How about that? 1991, they opened, and <laughs> that was just, oh, my God. That was yep. just an awful thing. Just an awful thing, and then, of course, it became U.S. Cellular Field and now Guaranteed Rate Field. So there you go. 29 years ago today, the Southside Ballpark opened its doors. Okay. Uh, We do have an update. Actually, our last guest, Missy Isaacson, did look it up, and she had gotten Daryl Gerritsen, not Hugh Hollins. Uh, on the call and sometime later he said it was a terrible call those are the types we're paid not to miss those are an official's nightmare so she well she at least she had an she knew she had an official that she talked to um and and that was that do you remember a famous game by the way speaking of hugh holland's game that you asked her about that grobber had a a memory of did you remember what we what we knew as the charles smith game of course. Yeah, where he kept missing the, the layup at the basket. Well, he had like over like five he, times. Yeah, he kept missing it because the Bulls, Horace and Michael, and they kept blocking his shots under the 8th yeah. Avenue basket. And no foul was called in that game five. In that series, the Knicks ruined the Bulls in two games in New York. Knicks had home court advantage. And the Bulls came back and destroyed the Knicks by 20 points in Game 3. They won Game 4. They go back to New York for Game 5. That was the Charles Smith game. The Bulls won 97-94. And there were no fouls called on the Bulls under that basket when you could understand that there might have been some. And one of the officials in that game was the aforementioned Hugh Hollins. And Mm. no fouls were called. So, so is that a game that New York Knicks fans talk about getting having getting, gotten screwed over? I never would have thought that because I always just thought, like, Charles Smith sucked and he couldn't make a layup. But maybe they bitched that he, he was fouled. Yeah, sure, they would. I, I don't know. I don't don't listen to it. I just know that I, I've not talked to anyone about it, but I knew that they couldn't make a layup from a foot away. And however it was, and he was he was not he was not a small guy. He was he was. He was a big enough guy. He should have been able to get through that, but the Bulls weren't going to let him, and then they won it. They won game six. In the, I think that was the game six when the Knicks were ultimately fined a bunch of money because they violated NBA rules by not getting to the arena on, this. in that case, Chicago Stadium. They didn't get to the stadium when they were supposed to and have the locker room open. Pat Riley held them at the hotel, and I think they all dressed in camo in fatigues. And they walked into the stadium for game six, the elimination game, or a potential Bulls clinching game, in fatigues. Late, no pregame, no nothing. And it didn't help. Hmm. I don't remember that. I I mean, I remember them being like that. They were thuggish, ruggish, bonish. But, um, yeah, I don't remember that. As long as we're talking dates, and you you talked about um, April 18th, 1991. Do you know what Monday is? Uh, Like two days from now. If today's the 18th, what does that make Monday? <laughs> April 20th. It does. Or if you were writing yeah. in shorthand, what day would that be? Numerical shorthand for Monday is 420. Well, right. Isn't that what I, isn't that what I said? No, I didn't. Yeah, it did. I, sorry, I wasn't quite sure. I'm having trouble hearing. Anyways, Are we having trouble right now, Steve? Are we not yeah, clicking anyways, right now? What's yeah. going on? What's Technology. Going on? Come here. So, Come here, you. <laughs> Willie Nelson is going to be hosting a live stream variety show. <laughs> of 
course he is. Yes, he is. The um, high priest of the Wake Wake and Bake Club will be hosting it in his self-isolation at the Luck Reunion. Luck is his ranch in Texas. And he's hosted music festivals, day-long music festivals there for years. So it begins at 4.20, and it's four hours and 20 minutes long, that live stream. And um, and I just thought I'd update you for the for whatever you might have on your 420 bucket list. That that might be a thing. That is great. Um, Can I update you on a a Gene Grody moment? I was going to say we have a Gene Grody moment, and I was going to tease a Gene Grody moment and a David Schuster phone call discussion. And after, uh, do we need to take a commercial break? I don't know. Studs. We don't have any breaking phone calls. Do we no, need to take a break? No, we should, we should take a break, though. Let's take a break. Oh, okay. Then we can come back with, we'll do that with afterwards. Schumacher right. and Gene stories. Okay. What well, did you say? You oh, Gene. I, I, thought, I thought you said Gene, like David Schuster Gene stories. No, Schumacher like, and Gene stories. There. Are we having trouble I can now, picture Mark? Dave. Can you picture David Schuster in an all jeans outfit though, like with the oh. with the jean jacket from like the nineteen eighties or something? <laughs> totally, like that sounds like Schuster. <laughs> wow, that's sad. Come on, fire it on our guy. No, he wears like the members only jacket that he had for years. You can't see David Schuster walking around in the. Je- <laughs> no, I can't. I just you're just saying the quiet part out loud. That's what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, can, I can picture it. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Fair. All right. Okay. All right. Um, he's Mark Grody. He's <laughs> saying the quiet stuff out loud. He's got a Gene Grody story. I'm Steve Rosenblum. I have a David Schuster story about viewing something as David is Good. want to do. And we'll share that with our uh, audience on Saturday Suckage after this. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Welcome in, welcome back. Steve Rosenblum, Mark Rody with you Saturday suckage till 2 o'clock here on The Score. And um, Mark has a Gene Grody story, which I can't imagine it would involve going to the jewels in this day and age. But what is no. it? No, Gene is a very smart, very practical person, and, you know, she is in her, her 70s, so she, you know, they're very careful about you know, they they follow all the rules. Luckily, they have um, children and grandchildren that can do their shopping for them. Ooh. But my mom, um, because she's a great mom and moms are going to mom, she she told me on the phone, she's, well, I I made something for you. Um, you know, so just be keep keeping an eye on the mail. Just, just, you know, keep an eye out for what so I... Okay, all right. Looking forward to seeing what what my mom made for me because I don't remember the last time my mom like made something for me. Mm-hmm. Um, turns out, I get it. It's it's in a regular business sized envelope. I open it, and there it is. My mom made me a COVID nineteen mask. She done made me a mask. So she sewed you a mask with. Um, well, describe it. Sure, with the well, class on, on Project Jeans Project Runway. Yeah, it would be really hard for me to. I mean, it just it looks. It's a regular cloth mask, though, and but it's made in the the kind of perforated style where you can pull it over your entire. Like it looks thin, but then you could kind of pull it accordion style up over your nose 
and below your chin, and it just happened to fit perfectly. So she bought, I, I guess there was some sort of, there was a store that was selling fabric that was in the <laughs> style of the masks, and she was able to rig it and create it um, with the bands on it and everything. And it's in a, actually it's in a, in a stylish pattern as well, so it looks good and it's perfect. And she was concerned because you know I had masks, but they were kind of disposable. And she said, "Well, you need a mask that you know you can wear and that you could wash. And if this one is good, I'll send you another one so you could wash one and then wear the other." So. I probably have another one that should be coming any day now. Um, so thanks to my mom, I now have an awesome COVID-19 mask that I, too, just like my mom, I can now follow the rules. That is so Gene Grody. It really is. It really is. So, yes, that is my... It's been a while since we've had a solid Gene Grody update to the show. And, well, uh, in the words of Steve Gro- Rosenblum, I mean, um, uh, Jeff Goldblum, there it is. There it is. Your mom sounds yeah. like a sweetheart, Grody. She really is. She is. She She's is. the good. She, she makes sure that his, he, it always involves clothing. See, if it were Jews, it would always involve food. But with Gene Grody, it involves clothing, whether Mark needs a winter coat or Mark needs a mask. <laughs> right. I what, have a nice, thick winter coat that I use for bear season because my mom didn't trust me to be warm on the sidelines. That's right. She was going to make sure. So... You will be reporting, we won't be on next week as this show, but you will be there. The, the draft will be in its third day. It will be on Saturday and you will be, how are you going to work this? How do you know how the scores, can you give us a preview of what the score is going to do? How the score is going to yeah. handle this? Yeah, actually I have a very busy week coming up next week. I am going to be, um, I'm actually hosting on Tuesday night with with Zach Zaidman. So he and I are going to do the evening show, the 6 mm-hmm. to 10 or 7 to 10, I'm not sure. So then obviously the draft is this week. We are going to have a whole draft extravaganza with Jeff Joniak leading the way, with Tom Thayer and Olin Krutz and Patrick Manley and David Haw and who am I leaving out? Um, I, yours truly will be involved. And the way it'll work is it's going to be interesting because Hallis Hall is not open. That's where I would normally be and have been stationed for the draft. But I will be at home and I will be monitoring conference calls with Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy and bringing that sound and contributing that way to our draft show um, and interjecting with thoughts from, from Nagy and uh, and from Ryan Pace. So it's going to be interesting, obviously unprecedented. We've never done it this way. Hub Arkish is going to be a part of it as well. And then Hub and I, after you know three days of draft coverage on that Saturday, so the, uh, unfortunately, Stevie Sunshine, you're not going to be on the show, but Hub and I will be doing a show um, next week um, so, somewhere around this time slot. We'll, we'll review all of the, the Bears draft picks and probably have lots of good guests to break down whatever it is the Bears do. So that's a long-winded way of me saying we'll see how the draft coverage goes because it's, it's, it's different and it's not obviously things are not as accessible as they were previously. One thing that could play out interestingly is the NFL is prepared to pause the draft if there are technical glitches. Because everybody's doing it from from their own, you know, their own place, their own wherever, whatever remote locations, 
And as I said last week, the Bears' remote location would be an end zone. But they are prepared to hold the draft if there's a technological or if, if somehow the technology prevents the draft from going on, which leads to the question, do you think Bill Belichick would hack into the Bears' database or not think the Bears' database is even worth hacking into? <laughs> I think that, yes, Bill Belichick probably has his people working on such things as we speak. Okay. So before we go, because I know we're getting, we're in short of time, I talked with Schuster, our friend Schuster. We don't know who's going to yeah. re- review movies for us, but I talked about viewing, and he was home in his quarantining, and um, he said to make sure I told you that he still, with all this time on his hands, he still has not watched, binged Friends or Seinfeld. Irresponsible. What the hell is wrong with that man? It is, uh, it, isn't it irres- like pop culturally... <laughs> Irresponsible to not have watched a single episode of Friends or Seinfeld. It's someone who is on the radio as much as he had been and to yeah. not know any of these references that are just golden, especially Seinfeld. It's dangerous. It's, it's dangerous and irresponsible. Dangerously ignorant is what I would qualify yeah. as. Dave, come on, get on that. He'd like yeah, them, just- too. Oh, he, he, would, he would absolutely like Seinfeld. I think him and like, the Larry David Seinfeld comedy is right up Schuster's alley. Friends, I don't know. He might not get into Friends, but he should watch. Here's it anyway. the thing about Friends: like Friends is like I went back and and binge that a few years ago um, with a girl that I was dating at the time. It's it's a damn good show. It seems like fluffy and silly, but it's it's one of the best written shows of all time. It really is. It's okay. really great. I, just, I I really enjoy it, especially now that I I mean I know the sh- I've seen the show so many times. So it's one of these shows that I can put on and enjoy if I'm actually paying attention, and I can also just throw on in the background and chime in and out whenever I feel like it and know exactly what's going on. I'd say it's criminal to miss anything with Jennifer Aniston, uh, but that's just me. That's why I highly recommend. Another reason I highly recommend Office Space. What a terrific role. What a terrific movie. So I just wanted to pass that along. David asked that I pass that along to you, so I'm just making sure. Well, that's good. No, I'm, I'm glad. I'm, you're going to need to go ahead and talk to David once a week to bring the Schuster portion of the show and maybe once the theater's open again, we can get David back out there. You know? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So we want to thank Gene Honda, and we're going to see how we can get this auction done. And we want to thank Missy Isaacson for joining us talking about The Last Dance. Thank Adam Stazinski for plugging us in. Thank Mark Grody for being who he is. And you can thank me for now getting off the radio. We're going to bring you an NFL playoff classic, Super Bowl 54, Kansas City, San Francisco. You've got the score. It wouldn't have been possible if we weren't here to be told how much we suck. So kudos to you guys for sucking as bad as we do. Oh, yes. Wait a minute, Mr. Post. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, yeah. That's it. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.